You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. And we are back with our last week discussing R.V. Raman's A Dire Isle, the second novel in the Harith Athreya series, exploring an archaeological dig in Bundelkhand in northern India. Herds challenged me to solve <laughs> this novel, yep. and I had a great time doing it. You had a pretty good, pretty good go of it. You pretty much... Pretty much smashed this one out of the park, which I thoroughly enjoyed, but we'll get into your points uh, a bit later on. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. I, I have many feelings. I know you do. I know. <laughs> many large canine feelings. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, this this is a great novel to read. I thoroughly enjoyed reading it on my end and, and obviously challenge you to the mystery, where the real fun is how how many different mysteries can we cram into one novel? How many culprits can we have it's it's many. Well, it's like six. Also, it's great. weirdly, there's like, ah, oh gosh, how do I how do I put this? There's so many things <laughs> yep. that just go untouched that really surprised me. Sure, this novel to me was very much murder mystery comfort food. There wasn't anything that like pushed me beyond the bounds, challenged my ideas. No, it was all familiar, all really nicely dressed up, a little bit clunky in a very charming way. I think. The weirdest thing to me is how we we get given the map of the of the compound and like and we hear never use it. Well, this is the thing we, we hear all these discussions of like I heard this sound and at this time I heard yeah, this yeah. and at this time I went to steal these jewels, which we haven't even talked about because it really isn't that relevant. Nope. Like the most of the information we learn is about Pratap and his stealing of the necklace, which he then gets killed over trying to sell which is yeah i was pretty confident that, that he was going to be killed it was just an idiot he just he was that's i mean that's why he only gets like one actual scene Le- leeching off of other people really just seems to run in the family it does, and thus they deserve death that's how oh. it works apparently especially in the world of finance Let, let's let's just get uh back to a quick summary before we get too sure. lost on this particular train of thought Following on from where we left off with a large paw print on Naz Tapu at the end <laughs> of yep. last stretch, we return, discover Pratap's body, uh-huh. and then go on a, a sightseeing tour for most of the rest of the book. We, we go sightseeing islands. on Naz Tapu to an ancient temple where there is a giant Great Dane descended from the original canine from mythology as well as a mastiff which was foreshadowed because and i'm disappointed you didn't pick up on this one flex athreya says i wonder what kind of dog baller was a a hound or a mastiff and it's obviously both come on (laughs) (laughs) and that's it that's the greatest mystery Uh, in the whole novel it's so good (laughs) It's so good. I also, I mean, yeah, we, we continue our sightseeing tour. We go and meet uh, Colonel Kanai, who was yep. first named at the end of uh, last chapter. What a weird character. There was yep. this amazing moment where they're sitting down in a museum and Colonel Kanai goes like, oh, yes, I had an agent on the inside. And Athreya and Bupin, uh, they go like, what? Really? Who is it? And there's a knock be? on the door. And Madhav walks in. He walks and in. It, yeah. it, it read to me like the here's one I prepared earlier moment in a cooking show. And yeah. it was fantastic. It's, it's such a ridiculous scene. And then they have this whole, like routine where they're just asking Matt of all these questions and he keeps looking at can I like can I answer that yeah, I yeah. don't even know why am I even here <laughs> I, who, who even knows 
I'm here to sit in a chair and say nothing most of the time. It's ridiculous. Uh, it, it's so it's so good. And then we end in the breakdown scene, which which runs fairly standard. There were a couple of moments in it that I just absolutely ate up, though. Mm. We go through Jagan, the fence's involvement. <laughs> yep. We go through Metali and Ulhas, and there's this hilarious bit. Uh, I, I mean, I kind of caught onto this into the first week, but I didn't really take it too seriously. What is this? Where um, How pale she is, that one? Y- yeah, where he, he talks to Priya, and he's like, now, Priya, if you were to take... Uh, a chubby, oh, black, long-haired, straight-haired lady, and try and disguise yourself. Make what would you end opposite. up? With? Yeah, you'd end up with Natali. How weird! Yeah, it's, it's such a weird reveal. Like it's entertaining in that, like, of course, it was the opposite of what the criminal was saying the entire time. But it's also like, yes. yeah, because she like used to be fat, she must be the the killer. Like, okay, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's kind Great. of incredibly contrived, but in a bit of a charming way. Uh, and then straight after that, Old House is like, you know, I'll admit I'm a bronze runner, but we didn't kill MM. And Athreya goes, yeah. oh, of course, because the bronze runners were so partitioned that you didn't know there was so more silly. of you. And everyone goes, a fourth bronze runner. It's oh. so good. It's it's so ridiculously over the top, that entire scene. And then we got to get to the best part. The best part is when they trot out the murder weapons. They have they have a cricket bag full of custom welded murder yes, weapons. It's it's ridiculous. It's so over the top. Like, of course they're well funded. We know this from all the museum artifacts they've been mm. stealing, but like it's it's approaching the level of like a Bond film. Yeah. With all these bizarre murder weapons and devices for leaving wounds. Oh man. And and the other one, this is one I did take issue with that I wanted to raise. Uh-oh. During the breakdown scene. We trap Madav by saying, like, ah, oh, yeah, we, we told you to go organize a raid on Nas Tapu because we uh. suspected the bronze runners were there, but we set up cameras so we could capture footage of you getting your stuff out. Why wasn't that a scene? I don't know. <laughs> it would have been so much fun, a, like, late-night stakeout. Well, that's the thing. They, they could have uh, they could have revealed him in the in the act, caught red-handed, yeah. as it were. But I, I don't know. I guess that uh, Avi Rahman really wanted to have the, like, sit down with all the suspects yeah, and to yeah. reveal everybody at once, which has its own charm. The other thing that was weird, but I didn't have as much of an issue with, was when we meet the two dogs and Nazarene's <laughs> brothers. <laughs> Yep. They're like, you know, they're set up on the island, living their lives. Well, but then they're maybe not. Maybe they, I think it's that they like, they actually move around. They like live yeah, sometimes yeah. They, on the they island. They live in the off. area and they come to the island X number of times a year to check in on, uh, on, on like the tomb of their ancestors there. Yeah, totally. And that's where the bronze Just runners have set out. up their stash. And there's a fantastic scene where they walk in and there's like a fiberglass wall at the back of the tomb. And they're like, what the hell is this doing here? And they push it over (laughs) and there's all of the loot. It's ridiculous. It's like breaking into the Pharaoh's tomb. It's phenomenal. It was, it was just kind of so bizarre having these like two brother characters. That we've never heard of before. Again, I want to come back to a point I made last week. Bupinder is a secondary character and they really could have given his role in the story to anyone else. He could have been the guy in Delhi. He could have been none, one of Nazarene's brothers. The twist could have been that the detective was one of was Nazarene's so brothers and they were working to like 
tie their secret back together. You know what? That would have been perfect. That would have been the perfect And ending. And I mean, this is the same point with Boopinder, right? Like tying Boopinder in to be one of the other characters in the story would have been contrived and ridiculous, but we've already crossed the contrived and ridiculous line in an enjoyable way. Look, so I'm why not saying, celebrate that more? I'm just saying I, f- I feel bad for whichever of the two brothers, you know, they sit down at the family dinner and they had the two seats. One which is for the reincarnated <laughs> prince. One is for the reincarnated bodyguard. And they have to choose which, well, no, which no, son I mean, goes where. Listen, they said that they said that Nazneen is only reincarnated in alternate generations. So presumably they take turns. Yeah, it's like yeah, the yeah. prince one generation, the princess the other generation. Because that way you don't okay. get into the like weird incest mythology. It's true. We don't want to get You don't want to touch that. We don't want to get there. We don't want to think about that part of the mythos. And yet here we are. It definitely exists. Here we are. I, I blame Flex for this one. Um <laughs> No, no. I look. I I thoroughly enjoy that whole re- when we go into the temple, and the big reveal is, of course, that uh, not not only is there the the bronze runner stash, but like the the family stash of of Nazreem and her yes. like her ancestors. And if like if the bronze runners had just cared about the archaeology all along, they could have yes. found this additional stash, gotten away with it because nobody knows about this because that's like. That's the defining feature is that like all the stuff they've stolen from the museums, everybody knows about. But if they just cared about the archaeology, if Miss Khan had actually looked hard enough and found the secret myth- mythological stash or whatever, they could have run away into the sunset with that yeah, stuff. I mean, know? and that's like the closing line of the book, too, is that that's the secret that Athreya gets let in on for having earned Nazarene's trust, which is yeah, it's great. kind of a cool bit. It's the real treasure all along. Gosh, I, I just... It's fun. I, I just had a great time, and I hope that our celebration of all of the silly and ridiculous things in this book shines through, because, like, yeah, yeah. I cannot recommend this novel in the same way that I would recommend... And then there were none, or the Decagon House murders, or the devotion of Suspect X. Then this novel didn't blow my mind. No, it was fun, but it cradled my mind in a soft, silky embrace. I could let myself go and just be free on the winds of mystery. Yeah, and not have to worry too much about <laughs> the complicated, the innumerable, yeah. the innumerable bizarre things that happen. What a great time. All right, we are going to wrap this bit of the discussion here. We will be back to talk a bit more about the mystery, the puzzles, the intrigue, and such towards the end of the show. Stick around. It's going to be great. We've got Avi Raman up next. You're listening to Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour. You're on 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour. We are discussing R.V. Rahman's A Dire Isle all the way to the end. Full spoilers are engaged. And we are once again joined by R.V. Rahman himself. Last week, we spoke about his debut novel, Fraudster. And this week, let's get a little bit further into Harith Athreya. Over here in Australia, one of our big trends at the moment, and it has been for a little while, is regional crime. Diving into small towns, stories off the beaten path. When there are so many picturesque places in India, like Bundelkhand in a dire isle for writers to explore, why do you think we still see so much of the cities in crime fiction that makes it to the West? I would probably look at two reasons. One is I think most writers are more familiar with it. And most writers, at least in the Indian context, I would say about 90% plus live in big cities. And uh, especially English fiction. The people who live in smaller places are either not uh, sufficiently conversant with the language or they are not into writing or reading uh, very much. So one is that, uh, the writer himself or herself. 
The second one is the audience. The audience seemed to be able to relate to a city-based fiction uh, more easily than something else. When you're writing uh, off-grid kind of a location, which I'm trying to do, there is a risk that some some readers don't like it. It doesn't resonate with somebody else. So I, I find that some of my readers come back and tell me that uh, uh, I didn't like this uh, location or I didn't like uh, something in that uh, particular setting. But I would say about 80-90% are in favor of it. I think these are the two reasons, the audience expectation and the uh, familiarity of the writers. Yeah. Now we're chatting about you know elements of, the, of crime fiction that could be relatable you know, to your audience. And one unavoidable presence in Haritha Thrayer's stories is modern technology. And uh, you've commented before on the She Done It podcast about authors like Sue Grafton, uh, who set their stories in the past to avoid that sort of thing. But I, I thought it was a challenge that you took in stride. Um, do you feel like there's untapped potential in bringing technology into mystery? I think so. I think so. If you get a little deeper into technology, you can have so much more variety in evidence, clues, all of that. And tech, for example, if I were to take a simple this uh, device that we wear on our hands for fitness, the fitness bands. Mm-hmm. Now, the evidence stored in the fitness band can be very, very useful for an for a investigator if the person who's died wears a fitness band. It gives you a whole range of evidence, which traditionally we didn't have. But the issue there is how do I take it out? How do I show it to the user? Now, will the, sorry, to the reader, will the reader be happy reading this? Or they'll say, watch it. This is again, why do I need so much of technology? So I have been experimenting with this. There have been versions in which uh, I have used some of this evidence. Then I also find that sometimes my publisher says, let's take out Let's not have too much of uh, technology is going to turn some people off. So it's a challenge that way. Yeah. Well, I thought one thing that was interesting about A Dire Isle is that there's a back and forth play almost between the obfuscating nature of modern technology and the complexities therein and the indiscernible nature of the Nas Tapu myth. What do you think made them such natural companions? I'm not sure I have a reasoning for that. It just came instinctively. I think that the dark unknown of the of the aisle uh, felt very, how do I put this? Uh, uh, it felt a good companion for technology. For example, if one of the places they use those, uh, the radio waves to locate the, the uh, ruins. Uh, so some of that, so I thought the, uh, the natural mystery of the darkness of the aisle can be penetrated using technology. Right. So that's why it felt instinctively that they go together. It was not any conscious thought. Yeah. There's almost like the classic idea there that, you know, uh, technology without explanation is indistinguishable from magic. Right. I kind of love and hate that quote. It's it's a good quote, but it's it's so prevalently used. It really is. Now, speaking of uh, the unknown, the supernatural, we, we see a lot of, well, plenty of European mythology in, in writing, in murder mystery, and in general. Uh, do, do you think, Raman, that the world is ready for India's mythological archetypes uh, in its fiction, its popular fiction? I think so. Uh, I would not, I don't know how large the market is or how many uh, people will want to read it, but there are certainly large, substantial chunks of readers who are looking for that. See, India in many ways, you know, it's an extremely old civilization, thousands of years old. And we have myths and stories which go back with donkey's years. There's a huge variety which is different from Europe. 
and it can be taken to the world. We just don't have enough vehicles uh, to take it to the world. But I think there will be a section of the readers who would be very, very interested. One of the things that's been happening in the Indian fiction market over the last 10 years is a lot of these old epics and classics are being reinterpreted. Even the old yeah. ones like Mahabharata, Ramayana, which are thousands of years old, they are being reinterpreted for the young audience. They are being rewritten for the young audience. For example, it is written from a, many of these epics are written from a male's viewpoint. So you have uh, writers now who are writing it from a female character's viewpoint uh, and targeting the young ladies uh, uh, in India. So extending that, I think the world would like to look at the uh, look at the myths from India. Now you're talking about the, the prevalency of, of kind of uh, spotlighting the, the, the female viewpoint to kind of reframe these historical stories, these epic tales. Um, you, you've been spotlighting young lady detectives uh, ever since you came out with Fraudster in 2014. Um, and in a dire aisle, you actually saw a girl named Mopria uh, as one of our three as sidekick. She proves key to gaining unexpected and sometimes covert insight into the, the Diggs characters. Do you think that Mopria will, will grow up to be an expert detective just like the story's protagonist? Well, that's looking way into the future, but she has the ingredients to become one. A lot of the fiction that I have read um, seem do not showcase the female aspect enough. Uh, and for me, if I go back, the biggest influences on me in my life have probably been three different ladies. And I've all, very consciously wanted to bring out the female point of view. In all my novels, excepting A Will to Kill, I think I have fairly strong uh, female characters. Even in the Dairail, uh, I, I think Nazreen is, uh, I, I really like the character. It's fantastic. Uh, mm -hmm. So, and you will find that um, in my thrillers, books three and four has a young lady who's a detective, police inspector. Uh, so it is a conscious attempt. The One of the other things I wanted to get into is there are some things in a dire aisle that in a book any less sincere would feel like satire, uh, like Nazarene's giant dogs, the like custom-made weapons that the criminals have, the pre-unveiling of the locked room before the murder actually happens. Is there a trick to you infusing the mystery with the same joy that I think you had writing it? Or does it just come out naturally for you from the process? I think it's largely a natural outcome of how you write. But parts of what you're saying is true because it, it may not be a conscious thought, but at the back of your mind, it's running. And that's that's what makes these things. So for me, for me, the, the act of writing has to be enjoyable. You know, the thing is, I, I don't view writing as a career. I'm done with my career. I, I, I've made my money. I'm settled. I'm just writing. I'm just doing something to enjoy myself, right? So I want it to flow. I, I, don't, I don't want to plan too much, any of that. So a lot of the things go in the back of my mind, and then they just come through when I write. Well, yeah. I mean, as you say, you started writing as a project after retiring from finance. Do you think in another life you would have wished to start sooner or was the minimal pressure retirement environment perfect for why you love writing? Oh, I would have liked to have started earlier. A couple of things uh, made it uh, difficult. One is that was one had to work and build the financial net for the family. So it didn't have the time. The writing takes a lot of time. The second thing, is technology. And funnily enough, you know, I am dyslexic and I have trouble with um, 
uh, with spellings, huge trouble spellings. I couldn't have written anything substantial before the word processor came. So I couldn't have done it, for example, during my childhood or all my teenager days. So interesting. So that's how I would have liked to have done it uh, earlier. But that is an absolutely fascinating note to to end on the idea that your modern version of the uh, crime novel is infused with the same idea that it couldn't have been born without technology and i i absolutely love that so avi Rahman, thank you so much for joining us here on death of the reader it has been a pleasure having you on the show and featuring your work and we can't wait to get more from you Thank you entirely. My my pleasure. Nice meeting you guys. Afi Rahman right there. We are discussing his novel, A Dire Isle, the second in the Harith Athreya series. And we'll be back with more of that in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour. And we are here. This is it, Herds. Mm-hmm. For our last portion of discussion on Avi Rahman's portion a dire aisle that's almost like points yeah that was exactly why i chose that word i wasn't just trying to switch the intro up for the hell of it that's dumb that's well any you know me any change scares me and thus i had to tie it into something that i am very well familiar with that being the point system which we know and love while you while you make your final calculations on my points i'm sure they're very complicated uh we have all the way to the end i had several monkeys uh working on right now (laughs) full spoiler warning herds tell me do I get them? Uh, yeah. So you, there, there were like, I mean, there were three aspects. Obviously, you you pose two different theories. So you get a point yes, for that. One point and there. And there were three aspects of the story, uh, some of which I tried to bamboozle you on a little bit. I asked you about the financial crime and you said Dr. Corder. Yeah, that basically like doesn't get an answer, does it? That was kind of weird. Yeah. No, nah, I mean, Dr. Corder is the person doing the crime because he has a third account that he's funneling funds into. You got that. Um, you picked Badav as the killer. So you get a point for that. Unfortunately, you did have the bronze runners plus one. I, I was uh, very impressed with you for spotting Jaegen and, uh, and throwing him in there because I had forgotten about that character completely. Uh, but you did add Pratap. So. In my defense, <laughs> listen, I'm not bargaining for points here, but uh-huh. Pratap was running goods. He was very sus. He, he was running bronze. <laughs> Even if he wasn't a bronze runner by rank and file. You know what? I, I refuse to give it a point based on this technicality. It has to be a capital B, and I don't see no capital Listen, B on the word bronze said, in bronze I'm set. not canvassing for points here. I've got yes, no problem. I, I just want to make sure the audience understands that I beat you. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Even if you won't award me the points to prove it. <laughs> it's not like I've been working for like two whole episodes trying to move you towards Pratap to think he's suspicious. To try and catch you. <laughs> It's not like I've been trying to do that. Ugh. My point is, he's not a capital B, capital R bronze runner. No, no, so enough, you will enough. receive three points for this book. But I was very impressed. You did manage to pretty much figure everything out. So on on a uh, you know less important and, and unprofessional level, I was very it was very good. It was very good seeing you work. I was I was proud of myself with Matt Av. Mm. I thought Liam Dunn had sent him there. That didn't end up being the case. No, it was Can I, who is a great character. I, I think by the time we had Kanai's name announced, I was I was convinced that he was working for that guy. But I didn't. I thought that like Kanai maybe had been employed by Dunn, and that was a chain of command. By Dunn, yeah, it was going to be a big twist at the end where it's like you sent two of us, and we were working together the whole time. Yeah, that that was pretty much my expectation, and. It was it was good fun. Like as I was saying at the end of last week, you know, this novel it's very easy to see what's going on, but you spend the entire time like tipping just absolute featherweight scales between which way sure. one character's leaning and that was that was really engaging. 
thought you were going to say tipping cows, but I, I like the featherweight scales <laughs> metaphor. It's much classier. And when you die, <laughs> the god Horus will weigh your heart against, against cows. Against that tipped. How many cows you've tipped during your lifetime. That's a much more exciting <laughs> Egyptian myth. S- speaking of myth... Uh, N- Nazreen was pretty cool. She she like didn't end up sort of figuring into the, you know, the evil side of the mystery, the the, no, the crime no. side. But she was very helpful to the. I detective did I Chandra. did like at the end of the book in the breakdown scene when Madav goes to leave and she's like, I got a big dog out there and he won't be pleased to see you. That's what I was gonna mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Uh, a two big dogs. Yeah. No, I love that. In the end, even though they could have just arrested everybody with the police, they were like, we also have two large dogs. But there's a bunch of other stuff that I found kind of bizarre about, like, the explanation and how things happen. For example, we're talking about how the the footsteps that went over to MM's body were, like, the same depth as the ones that Prius had made that, oh. because they'd, like, filled in, so they must have been deeper before. And someone says something to the effect of, like, ah, uh, yeah, this person must have been a lot heavier than MM because... The, the footprints were, were so deep and it's like, well, of course they were much heavier than her. They were carrying her. It was, I, I will say it was fun to see Mopria do her work. She is the real Watson of the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the good thing, right? Is that Mopria as a character in this story. She's great. She was almost like an audience insert in a way where the detective was turning and going like, hey, why didn't you try to figure this stuff out? You know, why didn't you come along on the investigation with me? And I liked her in that sense, but it also felt like there were just like a few weird distractions. Mm. Like, as you were mentioning before, the entire thing with like the setup of the locked room, it's like, ah, here's all of the times that everyone left and here's a diagram of the compound and how people could have gotten out. But it just doesn't end up factoring in at all. It doesn't end up being relevant. Like they just went over the balcony and got killed elsewhere. Yeah. Like in a way it is kind of golden age detective fiction-y to be like, well, actually there was a loophole because- as we all know, a yeah. locked room is never really locked. Yes. But at the same time, it, it definitely does feel like we're kind of pushing that to the side. Like it, it, it would be, for example, just to pick one out of thin air, out of the magical rain. It'd be like having a locked room where you spend the entire novel describing the four walls and how they're all detailed and just never mention that there is no roof. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. I, I'm sure we won't ever find a murder mystery that, that relies on that particular trope. <laughs> Are we playing this bit up a bit too much? No, please don't. <laughs> I was going to say, just to like jump back on what you said earlier, like Mopria, I actually really like as a, as a character because she is the Watson, but so yeah. is Naz- Nazreen. Like they yeah. balance each other. We have a Watson that is a small child so that then in the other half, in the first half of the novel, so that in the second half, we can rely more on, obviously this like goes back and forth, but yeah. we can rely more on Nazreen, who is the like person who knows everything. Um, rather than hiding her away in a box somewhere to be revealed at the end of the story, like so many of her characters are. Yeah. Like, that's such a frustrating trope. They, like, promote what's going on in the story. You yes. know, the, the joyous childlike wonder of going through a mystery and having fun with it is personified in mm. uh, in Priya. In Nazreem, obviously. And, no, okay. and the, the flip side, the dark, gritty, gruesome side of the mystery yeah. is personified through Nazreem. And it's yeah. almost like you have these two specters of reading mystery fiction pitted against each other in a like weird collaborative way. I don't know if I'd say pitted against each other, but I, I, I like where you're going with that. No. But it's like, I, it's a balance, right? You know, you only ever really get one of their sides of the story at a time in this novel. We're either getting the childlike wonderment or we're getting the spooky stuff. And 
and they're like trading screen time. It's true. There, there is uh, exactly one moment, I think, where Mopria and Nazrim really engage. And that's the first time we see Nazrim. And she's just, she's, she's ter- like, Mopria's just terrified. She's like, I don't want to engage with that. Yeah, I mean, th- there are, there are a couple of moments when they go over to the shore. There's one really, there's one really great moment where they're discussing the wounds mm. on um on uh, MM's neck, and he's like, "Oh yeah, there's no saliva." And Mapria and Azrina there, and goes, well, "I suppose a phantom dog wouldn't leave leave any saliva." Yeah, that makes sense to me. I like that. It's it's consistent with the myth. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I have any more things I can say about this novel because like, as I will, will describe this book, I'm sure to many people, it's murder mystery comfort food. Sure. I don't, I don't feel like I've had an incredible five course (laughs) luxurious meal, but God damn, if this wasn't the tastiest grilled cheese I ever had. I'm going to go make a grilled cheese now. You got me hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Anyway, what <laughs> shall we shall we wrap up things Absolutely. here? What are we oh What are we goodness. doing next week, Flex? You have to challenge me to a book now, or, or it is some time other nonsense. Yeah, what's what, to what do you mean? It's time. Oh. our Indian leg. Oh no, of death of the reader. A whole leg. Twenty twenty two. Delicious. Yeah, that's right. We we're eating one whole leg. With grilled cheese on it. We are going to be covering the Bombay Prince Ooh. by Sujata Massey. That sounds fun. This is the third book in the Praveen Mystery series. I just can't wait to get back to Bombay again. It seems like this is. I the, know you've been we just it. had a novel where we didn't go to Bombay, and we're already back. We, we had one novel off, and now we're back in Bombay. Do we get to go to Malabar That's Hill? Right. Oh Listen, my goodness! I'm sure. I'm sure. Having done the legwork, having done the groundwork. All of our kind friends out in the world, including you listening, will send us suggestions for novels not set in Bombay that still follow the murder mystery world tour. And then when we return next to India, we can uh, we can ignore Bombay altogether. I'm sure it will never come up. There's a really great novel. I think it's called Murders on Malabar Hill. I feel like that's the one we should we should do. Um, <laughs> Funny you should mention that. That's from the same series. Hertz. Oh, is it really? Shock yeah, horror. Crazy. Who knew? Who knew? That's, that's insane. <laughs> You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here. Thank you for joining us for Avi Raman's Adaya Isle. We will be back with The Bombay Prince by Sajada Massey next week on the show. You're listening to 2SER 107.3, and this is your Murder Mystery World Tour. See you next time. Mm-hmm.